0: This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into Indiana's legislation that pertains to education. This week, we look into how Indiana schools are funded, the expansion of the state's voucher program, and inequities when it comes to teacher pay. Dr. Jeff Hoswald superintendent for the Monroe County Community School Corporation, says that MCCSC schools are underfunded when you adjust for inflation. He says that the state needs to start treating K-12 public education as an investment into future generations.
1: You know, MCCSC is underfunded when we adjust our funding um, to inflationary rates. Um, And we know that if we take 7.5% over two years, Well, that would be roughly 3.75% a year if, and we know inflationary rates are above that. So we have another example where our funding uh, continues to fall further and further behind inflation. And that creates a lot of headwinds, right? That creates uh, headwinds with um, salaries and wages, our ability to attract statewide to attract people into the profession, to, to pay the workers that, that are needed for really what I would consider our greatest responsibility, and that's the education of future generations. And we know that when we spend money on education, it's an investment long term in our community. It, uh, every dollar we spend increases the local uh, assessed valuation rates, it increases overall um, educational levels in the community. And so we, we have to start looking at K 12 budget, K 12 public education as an investment not as a, just a responsibility or not as a, as a cost. We have to, on an annual basis, stop fixating on how we can be more efficient and start asking ourselves, what's the proper amount of money needed to really invest in the producers?
0: Hoswell discussed the history behind school funding, arguing that it was once mostly generated by local property taxes and kept up with cost of living rates. He said that now, most of the funding comes from state revenue. In his mind, educators need to tune in to what's happening at the statehouse and advocate for public education. And I think
1: that uh, superintendents and school board members and now teachers and students and community members have to be uh, more engaged, more tuned in to each legislative session. And we have to advocate on behalf of our local communities. School funding, um, when it was mostly locally um, property tax-driven, was pretty formulaic. And, uh, you know, we generally saw a similar amount and that amount always uh, tend to average out close to uh, inflationary rates You know, in the 1970s and 80s, early 90s. um, That funding always it was oftentimes 4%. We didn't even think anything about it. Right. And now that um, we have uh, created property tax caps and sort of created limits on the growth of um, funds that are derived from local property taxes, with a majority of our funding now coming from our state from state revenue, we have to be really tuned in to that. So yeah, we, we have to. I think it's a responsibility for us to advocate for our students and for our staff or local educational communities.
0: In the state's two-year budget, K through twelve education made up the largest expense, standing at forty four point five billion dollars. However, some critics question where is the money going?
2: Limestone Post writer Steve Hennefeld, author of the print version of this month's Deep Dive series, reported that more than one-third of this year's K-12 funding increase went to private schools through an expansion of the state's voucher program. Meanwhile, private schools serve less than 8% of Indiana students. According to the Indiana Department of Education, the state's Choice Scholarship Program, commonly referred to as the Voucher Program, provides scholarships for eligible students to offset tuition costs at participating schools. As Hinefeld reports, at first, the voucher program limited how many students could enroll and strictly enforced that students had to attend a public school for at least a year to qualify. However, the rules have begun to loosen and the program has started to grow. Now over 50,000 students are enrolled into the program in 343 private schools across the state. Paul Farmer, president of the MCCSC Teachers Union, the Monroe County Education Association, discussed how the voucher program was initially intended for a small group of people and has since expanded dramatically.
3: Well, vouchers is the classic example. I mean, it was only brought in for a very, very small, minute group of people. Oh, we promise, we promise we're not going to expand. <laughs> and, you know, what is it now? It's everybody. So, you know, it, it, it will expand.
2: Farmer said he does not want to see a broader expansion of the voucher program, saying that private and charter schools receive nearly identical funding to public schools.
3: When you're expanding the vouchers tremendously, it's nearly identical to what public schools are getting now. Um, Same thing with charter. So we shouldn't be hearing uh, more voucher and charter expansion because (laughs) it's about as expanded as it can go. now. Could they then expand and say, well, we're gonna give more money to vouchers and charters instead of public schools. Well, yeah, i don't put it past the legislature (laughs) to do that, but could they do it? The answer would be yes, they could.
0: This year, the state expanded the voucher program, allowing families who earn more money to enroll. Now, families earning up to 400% of the limit for free and reduced price school meals are eligible. For example, for a family of four, That's about $220,000 per year. All in all, that means that approximately 97% of students in Indiana qualify. Dr. Hoswald commented on the expansion of the voucher program, saying that it's taken more and more students out of public schools.
1: I think that every time we increase vouchers, that comes at a cost from the state. And so if you look at vouchers, which were originally, if you go back to when vouchers were first um, rolled out and supported by um, then Governor Daniels. The attitude was that you tried public schools first, and the vouchers were gonna cost less. That was always the attitude. They were they were designed to they were guaranteed to save the state money. Well now, right? without really the need to try public schools first, right? Uh, and they were also of course, designed for um, our most complex students that complex uh, priority po- based on poverty. And uh, so each time we expand vouchers, there are fewer and fewer students that are coming from public schools, right? And so now um, the reality is it's not a savings, right? It's a cost. And that cost just keeps growing and growing and you can easily pull um, some of the, some of those fiscal numbers. So I think that there's, there's two major concerns with vouchers. Number one, they're no longer doing... What they were designed to do, mm-hmm. and that was to provide a choice to students that were failing and they were attending public schools that were failing. Although it should have been designed for students that were failing in public schools, and they were designed for students that could not afford to uh, to attend uh, private school. We have other concerns, right, with vouchers, and, and that is that private schools clearly don't have the same transparency requirements, they don't have the same rules, um, they can deny students right? They can discriminate against students. But nonetheless, when we um, expand the qualifications or the, 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 the poverty level, right, for private schools, we are basically having less uh, complex students, right, who um, are now qualified, who may have never attended a public school in the first place, who may not be attending a failing school, who may not be failing, the other concern we have is we know that over the last few years of vouchers, fewer students of poverty are, are attending. Uh, the, the big worry is our voucher is going to be the next uh, form of segregation mm-hmm. by poverty, by race, um, these are uh, by religion. These are all concerns that I think a lot of
0: people may raise in the community. According to a study by Michigan State Education Professor Joshua Cohen, on average, students who receive vouchers fell behind academically. When they left public schools for private schools, state lawmaker Matt Pierce, a Democrat who represents Bloomington at the State House, told the Limestone Post, quote, the Republican majority don't want to admit it, but they can't do everything at the same time. They can't provide vouchers to anyone who wants one at the same time they fund public schools, end quote.
2: On the other hand, many Republican officials support the expansion of the voucher program, saying it gives parents the option to choose which school to send their child. In a news release, Indiana House Speaker Todd Houston, a Republican representing Fishers, said, quote, I'm excited to see Indiana once again stand behind our Hoosier families who want the ability to choose the best school that meets their child's needs, regardless of their zip code. We're on our way to become the best school choice program in the country, End quote. Another way that Indiana schools are underfunded, teachers' salaries. Indiana ranks 39th in the nation when it comes to the average teacher's salary. In Indiana, the average teacher makes $54,596 per year. The average salary for a public school teacher is $66,745, according to the National Education Association. Farmer says that low teacher pay is just one part of the reason MCCSC experiences staff shortages.
3: I mean, it's it's not a single straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it's all the ton each from big rolls of hay that's put on their back.
2: Hoswald also expressed concern that they will not receive enough funding for textbook fees. Indiana passed legislation to make textbook rentals more equitable and ensure that families are not responsible for the fee. However, the amount of funding that was allocated was not enough to cover the costs of textbooks for some school districts. This means that although well-intentioned, some counties will have to foot the bill to make up for the difference in cost. According to Hoswald, MCCSE will have to pay around $750,000 a year on textbooks.
1: This is another unfunded mandate. It's, it's an underfunded mandate, really, not unfunded. It's just simply that they picked an amount, and the rest of it, though, right, has to come from local school districts. And that generally will probably come from money that otherwise would go towards salary increases, for right. example.
0: Though the state has been slow to fund public education, school systems have the option to ask voters to increase property taxes for extra money. In 2022, MCCSE did this successfully. This year, they are asking for another referendum. Haswald touched on why the school corporation will ask for another tax increase this year.
1: I think that the reason why so soon is that it goes back to your questions on the 2023 legislative session. You know, we have um, asked for 20 years that the state address early childhood education. It's, un- it's underfunded. It's a significant need. If you look both locally through Betsy, you look at Chamber of Commerce, childcare, early child education, our priorities locally, it has a huge economic impact. Locally, we know that 10% per- we have 10% fewer workforce for parents that have children under the age of six. So it's a workforce issue it's a childcare issue and it's an education issue. And I think that uh, this came up pretty frequently last year when we were looking at designing the 2022 referendum. We also were confident that with record revenue, $2 billion, our state would finally um, fund early child education. We're one of only six or seven states do not fully fund pre-K. Even if you look at the state chamber of commerce, which is a fairly conservative organization. If you look at their goals this year, I highly recommend you look at their 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 new report they just issued uh, last week. Once again, their listing as one of the st- headwinds for the state is a lack of a universal pre-K. You know, we, we know that when students come to school ready to learn, is what we call it, enter kindergarten, ready to learn, they're more likely to be at reading level by third grade. They're more likely to graduate on time. They're more likely to be productive citizens that, that are that are employed and and really uh, provide, you know, the next generation of of active citizens.
0: Farmer explains that MCCSC is privileged to have its referendums pass. He says that in some rural communities, asking for a tax increase would be a long shot.
3: There are a lot of places that those small rural communities, in Brown County, they don't pass this referendum this fall. I mean, they're okay now. They're... Getting by the skin of their teeth right now. They ran the referendum early. They had a whole other year of the referendum before it was going to go out. They wanted, they said, let's, we're going to run it early. We're going to do a year early just in case it doesn't, you know, pass. We got it then another year to get it before it does pass. Well, it failed. And so this fall, they're running another mm-hmm. one. If they don't pass this one this fall, I don't know what.
2: Despite the unpredictability of how the legislature will move forward with education during its next session, Hoswald said he's optimistic about the future of education in Bloomington and Monroe County.
1: Yeah, I'm optimistic because I I think that here in in Bloomington and Monroe County, time and time again, I see the level of value, support, and love of K-12 public education, right? They understand the institution. They don't understand it selfishly from, from their vantage point or their families, for their families. They understand the impact it has on our community. And that it is one of the great equalizers, and it does it does have this rising tide effect of lifting all boats. And uh, I think that's why they, you know, we know that, you know, as it says in the walls when you enter the school of education and Bloomington, education shall forever be encouraged. I think we see that in the local community. I think what 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 is heartbreaking is to see the the discrepancies that may that may exist across the state, the differences in opportunities, right, including through the referendum, right. I mean. I long for the day where local communities don't have to have a referendum because all communities have the funding they need in an equitable manner across the state of Indiana so that we don't have winners and losers in terms of school funding. But I do greatly appreciate and value that our community recognizes those shortfalls and they're willing to say, "We'll, we'll, we'll pay additional at the local level to do what isn't being done at the state level.
2: Tune in next week to hear more about Indiana's education legislation. To read the full article written by Steve Hennefeld and photography by Garrett Ann Walters, visit thelimestonepostmagazine.com. To submit feedback to WFHP, you can email deepdive at wfhb.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-552-3483.